Let's face it, whether you're hiring for a new role or you're trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, chat GPT-written cover letters, and wild employment scams, how do you know if your resume, your application, or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, then we'll feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of podcast listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SBA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. But in order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. You know, we mentioned this on the last episode, but if you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Andre Foster. Andre is the co-founder of First Fight, a creative studio and production house in Detroit, Michigan that helps brands hit above their weight with style and motion. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Andre Foster. I'm the co-founder and owner of First Fight, a creative studio and production house based in Detroit, Michigan that helps brands hit above their weight with style and motion. And what that really means is that we use our own unique style of animation, design, and live action to bring our client's message to life for broadcast or for digital. Disney+, Plus, Instagram, Fox Sports, StockX, and Dave & Buster's are just some of the brands that we've worked with. Impressive. Really impressive. Thank you. How has uh, this year been going so far? This year has been rough. 
and not just for us, but I think just for a lot of studios as well. Um, I think the economy hasn't been that great. So it's really caused a lot of our clients to kind of tighten their, their spending, layoffs, strikes, just a lot of uncertainty in the industry. That's, I think that's been a part of this, this whole thing. That's just part of being a business owner is just going through the highs and the lows of, of it. And, but I think what's been good about it is that it's really made us refocus on our brand, just kind of hone in on the, the actual service of what we provide. I think we really came to the realization that the creative is just one part of it. It's really just how you can network and how you can execute what you do and how you present that to your clients and even to potential clients. How would you say, I mean, aside from just kind of the change, like you said, in clients and budgets and stuff, how would you say that you personally have like grown over the past year? Whew. Yeah, it really put me in a space where I had to really just keep going. I think this whole year just showed me that you have to just be strong and just be able to adapt and then just really just just keep doing what you've been doing. And then just, as I said before, just kind of refocus and make sure that you can just try to just be as as good as the service that you that you try to provide, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So it's really just, again, just making sure that you hone in on what it is that you do, what you're good at, and how you're different. And then, and again, like I said, just keep sending the emails out and just keep promoting yourself and just keep trying to put yourself out there as much as you can and just really just trust in the process while you do that. And then why you do do that, you just make sure that you just concentrate on the craft and just figure out ways how to be better. Yeah, as you said that, it sort of reminded me of that saying people have when they say, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> like, just yeah. sort of find a way to persevere. And I mean, you and I, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I mean, it's been tough for, I think, a lot of creatives this year, just in terms of, you know, budgets and clients and and finding work. And it's definitely a trying time right now in the creative industry overall, but it sounds like you're weathering it pretty well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not going to lie, it's been, it's been extremely rough, but... As you said, we've been weathering it and we've just been trying to find work where we can and just, again, like I said, just make sure that we trust in the process and just make sure that we keep continuing the network and and just be able to try to continue to put our our brand out there as much as we can. Let's help with that. Let's talk about First Fight, which you co-founded back in 2016 and you just mentioned earlier. Tell me more about it. Tell me more about like some of the services and things that you offer. We primarily do animation and then we do live action as well. And with that, we do a lot of design. We do a lot of illustration work too. Along with that, we also do a lot of strategy when it comes to the digital campaigns that we create the content for. So that's really kind of a newer service that we've been, um, we've added on to our team. Mm-hmm. But really, yeah, it's just really just trying to emphasize the uniqueness of what we do and how we do it. Style the motion is, you know, the thing that we always say that we have uh, that we can offer our clients. But yeah, animation and live action and um, just, you know, make sure that we're trying to get our clients message across in a unique way that stands out. And for me, it's, it's fun because it's always interesting, like how we can try to do something a little bit different than what's been done before. Our clients pretty much are kind of like in the same industry, but I mean, they can kind of range. I mean, we we deal mostly in in the entertainment industry, but 
lately we've been doing a lot of stuff for uh, the uh, self-driving industry, the autonomous, is that the autonomous <laughs> industry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of just switching it up and just, you know, seeing what's out there and how we can try to bring our voice, you know, to their message. You know, I was going to ask you about clients. I mean, you mentioned some earlier that you're working with. Of course, you know, being in Detroit, big automotive center here in the U.S., Chevy, Ford, Cadillac. But then you also mentioned Disney Plus. Dave and Buster's is a client of yours, you know, just to name a few. What yeah. are the, the best types of clients that you prefer to work with? I think the best type of clients are the clients that can trust our expertise and just really just let us go. I mean, that's not to say that we don't like to collaborate because we definitely like to do that. But having clients that can really trust in what you're able to bring to them and just, you know, just let us go. I, I think that's probably the best, best type of clients I would like to work with. And then also it helps too that, you know, the they can pay you like how you should be paid. That's a different <laughs> You know, that's something that we look for. Because, you know, we are in a business and, you know, we just want to make sure that the value of what we do, we get compensated for. So, you know, the Disney Pluses and the Dave and Busters, you know, those type of clients, we really don't have issue with that. So it really just allows us to be able to come up with some great work for them and just and just go. Mm. I know you said entertainment was kind of one field that you're working in. And then, of course, the automotive industry. Are those kind of the two main industries that you prefer to work with? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we've kind of just fell into that, I think, because we are based in Detroit. So the, you know, the automotive industry is kind of like right in our backyard. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's interesting is that some of the stuff that we have done when it comes to automotive industry, automotive industry has been kind of cool because it's kind of allowed us to be a little bit more creative in terms of like showing the car. And, and actually, there's been some situations where we haven't really shown the car at all. It's just been like a lot of lifestyle imagery and stuff like that. So it's kind of helped us in terms of just being a little bit more creative and just just showing like the car itself and just making it a little bit more interesting. What does your like day-to-day work look like at First Fight? A lot of emails. (laughs) Yeah. Sending emails out and just checking behind the status of some projects that we have in-house and then making sure that our animators and that our team, they know what it is that they need to do. And just checking behind them. I probably shouldn't say checking behind them, but just making sure that, that what they're working on is it fits what the project is and what, you know, the message is for that project. So just making sure that they um that they understand the assignment. Do it in the brand voice of what first fight is is about. What would you say kind of really sets first fight apart from other studios? Well, one, I mean, we're one of the few Black-owned agencies, uh, probably shouldn't say agencies, or creative studios in the industry. So I think that by itself is definitely what they necessitate us apart. But I think it's really just the foundation of design and, and illustration. I think that's one, one, one thing that kind of just distinguishes us from other studios because we have such a strong foundation of that i think that we tap into that with some of the most of the work that we do even though we do a lot of different stuff we do editing and we do some visual effects and then like i said we do live action 
But even with those, there's some fundamental things that we put in that that we take from what we learn with design and illustration, whether it's compositing or composing a picture and making sure that there's enough contrast to get the visual interest of what it is that we're trying to show. Now, let's say like when new work comes in, because you're offering like all these different services and you said strategy is even like something kind of new that you're offering. When a new project kind of comes in the door, like what does that process look like in terms of like getting started and everything? We get a request, whether it's through email or we just or we may just get a phone call and a the client will come in with a brief and then we read over the brief and then we kind of get a sense of what the vision is that the uh, the client is kind of going for. So I think it's really the initial brief. And then from that, we just kind of figure out like, well, okay, if it's going to be, whether or not it's going to be 30 seconds long, is it 60 seconds? And then we kind of figure out like, what is the budget for it? And then we kind of craft a plan from that. And then really, yeah, just kind of get a better understanding of what exactly is, you know, what exactly is the message that the client is trying to say with it within within the constraints of the budget that they have, because sometimes the budget is just, is just not there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we just try to make sure that we um, try to do what we can within, within the budget and make sure that we still are able to give the client what they need to get, their, get the message across. I'd imagine with maybe some of the bigger clients, maybe that's an easier process. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, they kind of just let you go. And the great thing about the bigger clients is that the budget is not really an issue. So it kind of allows us to be able to go for what we know <laughs> and just have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. And then just really just have fun with it and, and challenge ourselves because I think we always are trying to do that anyway. And in terms of like how we execute these, these things for our clients, whether it's through animation, video production, you know, and even with the strategy, I was trying to figure out what is the different angle that we can take. How can we make this project different than what's been done before? And that's something that we always try to do. I mean, that's kind of the fight that we always go through. And really, sometimes the fight the fight is with in ourselves because we're trying to fight against what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, how can we make it different than what was? Because it's it's so hard to come up with something that's original nowadays because it's just. It's so much stuff out there. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you said that because that actually is a good lead into what I wanted to ask about with regards to like AI and some of this emerging tech in the creative industry. I think across writing, design, animation, illustration, et cetera, we've started to see a lot more adoption of AI tools, both good and bad. I mean, The tools are often trained on other people's work without their consent. So like, that's a bad thing. But then some people are using them in or trying to use them, I think, in effective ways. I know back when uh, Disney Plus had launched, not launched, they premiered the the season of Secret Secret Invasion. Thank you. And the whole intro was done with AI. And there was sort of this kind of big negative backlash against it and everything. I'm curious, like, are you using... AI in any of your work, or do you have any just kind of thoughts around AI in any of these emerging technologies? Yeah, I mean, we do use AI. And I think what I've seen is that I think a lot of people are using it the wrong way. Because when we started using AI, we kind of took it as a high level 
for, well, kind of a, a Pinterest, like a high level of a, what a Pinterest would do for you. Yeah, like a mood board or something. Yeah, yeah. It, but the only big difference is that you can really customize it to what it is that you're trying to do in terms of like getting an idea or even just trying to figure out a different color palette. Because what's cool about using AI, because I used MidJourney, and what's cool about MidJourney is it can give you an idea that you never even really thought about. Or, like I said, even a color palette that you didn't even think about. We kind of use it in that regard. I don't think you should use or present AI as a final image. I think if you don't go back in it, if you don't try to alter it in some way and then kind of make it ownable to yourself and to what you do, Mm -hmm. I think that's where the problem kind of comes in. But yeah, I mean, we just use it as kind of like a really high level Pinterest. <laughs> I would tell people that like ways that I've used it before is kind of almost like a like a decent intern to come up yeah. with ideas to bounce things off of. But I wouldn't necessarily take what, you know, one of these tools, like say Chat GPT, for example, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily use what they have like flat out as my own. And certainly exactly. I wouldn't pass it off as my own, but it yep. can be inspiration for something else. It could say, okay, well, I could, I didn't think about this, or maybe I can reword this in a different way now that I've got a spark of an idea that this AI has generated. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way with Chat GPT because I've used it in the past and then I'll, I'll have it write something. And then I usually have to go back in and just make it sound like myself. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it kind of it does most of the heavy lifting. And it's just really not meant for you to just have it come straight out the box or present it as yourself without even putting yourself in it somehow, some way. I think with Mid Journey, there's a reason why it's called Mid Journey. It's really just meant to get you halfway there. Mm, That's the way I took it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because the output is mid, but I get that too. That, that I like your explanation better. Yeah, and I, I really thought that's that was the whole point of it i mean maybe the the developers probably had a different idea of what what the name meant i like to think that that's what they wanted it to do yeah because it's not meant to replace the artist it's just it's there to to get them to a certain point and then have them finish it now how do you think clients would feel about that like do you think they think oh well if you're using ai i could do that myself (laughs) Yeah, some clients may think that. I think any edge that you can have in this industry, you should try to take advantage of it because in an industry where uh, things are constantly being due the next day and the budgets are getting a little bit shorter, you have to try to find ways to be able to be efficient and to be able to still play in this game. So I think any advantage that you can get, you should try to use it. I really don't think that they really care because I, I think this is that the whole controversy has been just more about, you know, with the artists themselves in the industry. I think with the clients themselves, I, I don't think they really care. I think just as long as you're able to get their message across, make it look good and it does what it needs to do for them. I think mm-hmm. that's all what they really care about. I think so too. I mean, it's so interesting. Like back when I had my studio and I had clients, it would be so interesting to talk with 
other designers and they go so much into like their process and they use this in Photoshop or they use Sketch or they're using Illustrator and all that stuff. And the client doesn't care about that. The client just cares about their end result. They really don't want to know the nuts and bolts. I mean, some clients do. But as a whole, they're not really concerned with how the sausage is made. They just want the sausage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of a bougie kind of attitude like some artists take. I kind of get it. Well, when I say that, I want to, you know, toward (laughs) using it. Uh And I kind of get it. And I think there is like a lot of training that goes into what we do because I have an illustration major. That's what I went to school for. So I understand the fundamentals and the foundations of it. I know this. It takes a lot of time to be able to get good at that and to understand it. But what's interesting is that with AI, what I see nowadays, I feel like everything kind of looks the same. And I can always tell when somebody who doesn't have any like traditional training, Mm -hmm. they'll just put stuff out just because they think it looks cool. But I can see all the different things that's wrong with it. Right. Because they don't have, they haven't developed that type of taste. Well, when it comes to design, like you can type in anything, anything into mid-journey and have it spit out something. But if you don't know how to filter it out and figure out like, well, this image is doesn't look good or, or whatever. I mean, that kind of that kind of goes back to how you've been trained traditionally. Mm-hmm. But if you're just putting the stuff out left and right, you're kind of giving yourself away. Like, yeah, you, you really don't know what you're doing. Just typing in prompts. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's another tool to use. As the designer, you have the discernment, you have the eye, you have the experience to be able to kind of know what to look for and know how to craft it in the right way. Like I do see a lot of the AI art does have the very similar just sort of style to it. Like you can look at yeah. something and just tell like, yep, that's AI. Yeah, it's a day giveaway. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of when, and I'm actually old enough to remember when, People used to use airbrush. Mm-hmm. I remember when airbrush first started coming out and the look of airbrush was so different than like a traditional brush painting. And it had kind of that slickness and that real smoothness and stuff like that. And I think there was a lot of people who, at least back then, thought that, well, it looks too perfect. It looks too generic or it looks too whatever. And even back then, people were like just getting on airbrush artists. Like, well, why don't you just learn, learn how to paint? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I kind of see it happening now with AI because it, it kind of has that same same thing happening. It feels the same and it, it doesn't have any soul to it. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I think you anything that you use or have come out of mid-journey, you should be able to try to put yourself into it because that's where the, um, you know, the personality comes in. Right. You have to try to, like I said, just make it ownable and make it your own and just enhance on it. Because again, I mean, I can't say this enough. It's really only meant to get you halfway there. Yeah. Like I've used ChatGPT. I haven't used like mid-journey or, or Dolly or any of the other sort of image generation ones. I have done like, I think this might have started like a little bit last year when people were getting all of those like AI profile pictures made. Yeah. And it was so funny, the conversation around that at the time, because folks were like, one, they were astounded that they had to pay for it. 
they were like, what do you mean I have to pay? Like, it's $8. You paid $8? For, and I mean, not even a, a lot of money. Like, $8 is not a lot of money. But people were, one, astounded that they had to pay. And then, two, the way that they talked about the quality was just sort of weird. Like, some of them, of course, the art looks like the person. Some of them, it doesn't. Because you're not working with an artist. You're working with an algorithm. So right. what you get out of it is what you put into it in that aspect. But yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's now hit the mainstream in a way. I haven't used any of the larger tools like, like I said, Dolly or or Midjourney. But I, I want to. I think I want to try to get started with them just to see what it's like. Yeah, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, because I think what I have seen is a lot of people who use Midjourney who I think maybe got sidetracked with life, and you know maybe they weren't the best drawer, mm-hmm. or maybe they weren't the best designer. And I think that program allowed them to just really tap back into that creative side. And I can see the excitement behind that. And I, I really do, because it's just like nice that that part of them that just kind of went away because they didn't think that they were good enough. Yeah. I think you just you need to be responsible with it, too. And it's just understand that it is a tool that is not really meant to replace anybody. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's kind of change it up a little bit here. You mentioned being in Detroit, so I'd love to just kind of know more about about you personally. Are you from Detroit yeah. originally? Yeah, born and raised in Detroit, on the west side, west side of Detroit. Um, I got all of my education here in Detroit. It's funny because when I go to different places like to New York and in Chicago, people used to, well, even you know, on the West Coast, I would tell people I was from Detroit and mm-hmm. they it would always kind of give me this, oh, wow, you're from Detroit? You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, and this is like pretty much like recent. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you still have kind of this negative connotation about Detroit. Yeah. So it's apparent to me like, you know, they haven't been here like how it is now as opposed to what, what it was back, back like maybe 20 years ago or something like that. Or maybe even... 10 years ago because it's different from 10 years now but i'm proud to be from detroit i think i embrace everything that it is to be a detroiter i love the swag that we have the kind of blue collar hardworking feeling that i think everybody who is from detroit they carry with them mm-hmm. so every time when i go out i just you know try to represent detroit the best way that i can now, growing up in Detroit, were you always kind of interested in design and animation and that kind of stuff? Yes. I owe a lot to my mom because she really was the one that got me involved into, like, say, you know, I think it was a Saturday afternoon drawing classes. She saw me drawing a lot. And I was, I was a big comic book collector, too. So what I would do, I would actually trace the panels of the artists that were um, drawing in these comic books. So she really saw that I loved to draw, and then I had um, just a real passion for it. But she was the one that really just kept on it and kept me going and got me involved in like a lot of different after-school classes, you know, as I said, Saturday classes. It just, it just kind of kept on me. Yeah. And she was also the one that really boosted me up. She was the one that kind of, and I like to say that she ordained me to be great. Mm. <laughs> and I think every parent should do that with their kid. You're like, you know, you are going to be great one day. 
Yeah, I know. You know, sometimes when you say that to your kids, I look at you like, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. just <laughs> and just kind of blow it off. But whether they know it or not, I think subconsciously when you keep when you have somebody that keeps telling you that, it does stick with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just really does make you kind of carry yourself in a different way and it makes you a little bit more yeah, a little bit more passionate about what it is that you do because you kind of have this this expectation yeah. put on you. Yeah. So I think that's what my mom did. She really put that that expectation on me. I mean, she used to drive people crazy, like just random strangers. <laughs> I remember one time she had a guy come by the house to fix like the furnace or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he came in, did this thing. And I remember he was getting ready to leave. And so she said, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait. I want to introduce you to my son. Mm-hmm. And so he's just looking there, you know, standing there waiting to get his check. He said, this is my son. And then she held her hands out mm-hmm. like, this is my son, the artist. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy was, I remember the guy was like, okay, great. Yeah, all right. Uh, can I go now? <laughs> no, I, I love that. I love that. Mom was bigging you up. That's yeah. good. yeah. You know, back then, like I said, you you really don't pay attention to it or you're almost even kind of annoyed by it. Uh-huh. But I'm really, really appreciative of her for doing that because even still to this day, I carry that kind of confidence in my ability and, and that just that that expectation. Like, I want to be better than what I was yesterday. I want the studio to be better than it was you know, last year or even last month, I carry that with me. Now, you talked about, you know, also being educated in Detroit. You went to College for Creative Studies where you studied fine and studio arts. What was your time like there? My time there was interesting. I was so focused and so determined to be as good as I could while I was going there. What was interesting, too, is that I was working part-time when I was going there. So I actually went to art school for like nine years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was a long time. And back then, CCS wasn't as diverse as what it is now. So it was majority white. And I was really the only, the only black guy in these classes. Mm. It was interesting, but I was focused, but I was also very competitive I remember thinking that every time I was going, I would go into these classrooms with these other students. And this is going to sound really bad to say this, but I wanted to destroy everybody in that classroom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty competitive, but Mm -hmm. like it comes to the craft in a good way, you know, competitive in a good way, but not, I didn't really want to destroy them. I just wanted to like show them what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the the numerous people I've had on the show that have told me that like art school is super competitive, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, especially when you're only a black guy too. Like you, it yeah. was like a little bit extra on top of that. It was an interesting time. I think it went by fast, even mm-hmm. though it was nine years. But I learned a lot. I was able to foster some good relationships from my time there. Actually, one of my mentors, that's how I met her, because uh, she was teaching her, Laura, Laura Parloff. want to give her some love. But yeah, she was a big influence to me while I was going there. Yeah, I'm still, to this day, she's a big influence. So I was able to 
pick up a lot of good key relationships from my time there. Yeah. And I mean, you were also there during a time when I feel like the industry was starting to embrace yeah. technology and computers as part of the craft. Like, I feel exactly. like that probably definitely was a big part of, of your yeah. time there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because when I came up, I was right there at that transition where people were started using like Wacom tablets. And I remember for a long time, I didn't want to use a Wacom tablet. I didn't mm-hmm. really want to use a mouse to draw on a computer because believe it or not, people used to use a mouse to draw on a computer. Mm-hmm. I would just scan in my drawings and then just take it into Photoshop and try to manipulate them that way. Before then, I would do storyboards, markers. I'd be surprised if anybody know what markers are. But I used to, <laughs> used to draw with them and just, you know, do it the old-fashioned way. So when I was coming up, when I first started going to CCS, that's when that whole big transition started happening. So I was able to have the kind of the best of both worlds, that traditional kind of upbringing, and then really just seeing the new beginnings of the new technology you know, happening. So yeah. I feel pretty lucky. It's funny because this, I feel like it's happening again. It's, it's always constantly happening. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've talked about this on the show before, how like this time right now when people are getting into using AI tools and the metaverse and all that sort of stuff reminds yeah. me so much of just like the early web and people trying to figure out, well, should I even have my business online? And how do I design yeah. a web page and, and all this sort of stuff? Like it's parallels yeah. to it as the technology innovates, I guess. Yeah. And I remember when, um, you know, when I started at Skidmore, when I graduated from, uh, from CCS, I was the one who was teaching some of the older artists how to draw in painter and Photoshop and stuff like that, because, you know, they were kind of like from the old guard, you know, they would paint with traditional brushes and use traditional paint to make these beautiful paintings. I think I was, when I first started there, that's when they knew that, oh, wow, I got to learn this shit too. (laughs) I got to learn something new. You know, I spent all these years trying to get as good as I am now. Now I got to try to switch the uh, switch gears up a little bit but yeah yeah i feel very fortunate that i did come up the way that i did because like i said i was able to kind of experience the, the best of both worlds and i think it allowed me to be open or even just know that nothing stays the same you have to just you can't get comfortable you have to just keep learning 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 this is it's just an ongoing thing right and you don't ever want to be dated And you don't want to be just not relevant. I mean, I think that's something now, again, to bring it back to talking about the AI tools and stuff, you know, I'm starting to get my feet wet using some of it just because I know that anybody can, I think, look at the news and see how much technology has been implementing all these AI features. So clearly the the industry is moving forward with it at a pretty fast rate. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, well... I need to get on it. I need to see what it's about. So like for me, I've started out with just doing chat GPT and just trying to get really good yeah. at at using it and prompts and stuff like that. But I want to get into, you know, Dolly and mid journey and just sort of see what I can, what I can come up with. I, I know that there are some other folks I've seen on LinkedIn that have been posting a lot of their experiments with it. And it, it looks amazing. It looks yeah. amazing. Again, like it's just, it sparks that creative juice within you. And I think what probably was happening 
like some of the tools kind of prevented the creative to keep going. And what I mean by that is, let's say for instance, like for, cause I, I'm a Maya guy. So I work in Autodesk Maya, which is like a 3D program. Mm-hmm. Which anybody who ever uses Maya knows that it is a deep, hard program to get into. The biggest thing that I had to learn is that working in, especially in 3D, is that it's, it's different in a traditional sense because you have to wait to see the result. Mm-hmm. There's like steps to it. In a lot of different ways, it kind of deters the creative because you do have to wait. And I think the creative happens, it really, it really lights fires when you're able to just keep going and just keep going at it. You know, you have to, you don't really have to think about it too much. Yeah. You know, I think that's what's, what AI does is just kind of helps speed the process up and it makes, makes your imagination go wild. You don't mm-hmm. have to really wait on stuff, you know, like you used to do or still mm-hmm. do in some, in some cases. So I do understand the allure of AI. And, you know, AI is not going away. So people should just realize that and accept it. And I don't think either you definitely don't want to be the person who is going to be left behind with that because I think you should understand it to enough to where you, you can use it. And, and you don't have to get deep into it. But again, like I said, you don't want to be left behind because it's not going away. You just won't be able to understand the technology and how to use it for what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. This already is a big part of our lives. And AI really hasn't just shown up on the scene. I mean, it's been around since the 50s. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. There's nothing really new. It's just a little bit more prominent, you know, with some of these, um, these new softwares that they've come out with. Yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence is a broad field. And if you just think about all the different ways it's been implemented, I mean, you could say spell check in a way is kind of a form of AI or, you know, yeah. with Photoshop, like content aware fill or anything like that. So as the technology has gotten more advanced, we've just been able to innovate and continue to iterate upon it. So it's been here for a long time. I think yeah. certainly a lot of people have been using it for research purposes and things like that. But now that it's really gotten into the mainstream, People think that it just happened overnight, and it's like, no, this has been here it's for been a here. long time. Facetune, all that sort of stuff has been here for a long time, which is all parts of AI. It all right. falls under that umbrella. Yeah, yeah. That's the part that they kind of leave out, or they, they really don't say enough. And I, just going back to, to Midjourney, when Midjourney first came out, I remember I started messing with it, and I started typing in some stuff, and some of the stuff that I would get back blew my mind. Because it's stuff that I would have never thought about mm-hmm. <laughs> doing, or even if I went on Pinterest to try to search for a certain image, it would never have given me what I was getting out of Mid Journey. It actually sparked something in me. Like there was one time I was really, I was getting pretty good at Mid Journey, and I started understanding the the language and, and prompts and stuff like that. And the, the images that it gave me. I actually sparked an idea for a um, a series, I guess you would call it like an effects series, like a really kind of hardcore streaming program. Some of the images that I got back, it put me in the mind of Frankenstein. I was like, it'd be cool to have a, a show based off the story of Frankenstein, but, but told in a modern way, like set in the 70s. 
because some of the images that I got back kind of felt like that. Mm-hmm. So it sparked an idea, you know, it sparked that whole thing. And actually, the the outcome of that is actually on our website. It's called Suture. So if your listeners go to that, they'll be able to see like some of the images that I came that I got out of Mid Journey that sparked the whole idea. And I did like a whole intro for this imaginary show based off the Frankenstein story. Well, it was pretty wild, though. I'll make sure that we put a link to that um, in the show notes so folks can go and check that out. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Now, after you graduated from College for Creative Studies from CCS, you kind of went straight to work. You began working at Skidmore Studio, and you were there for 16 years, which is amazing to think about just in terms of tenure. I mean, before we recorded, I was saying how it sort of felt like the second graduation for you in a way. How did you sort of first learn about them? And like overall, what was your time like there? Actually, when I first heard about them, it was through my teacher, Laura Parloff. Mm -hmm. And she actually had owned her own studio. It was called Color Forms back in the day. And she was actually their competition, Skidmore's competition. And I actually wanted to go work for her studio because I thought her studio was really cool. She had a pool table. That was a big thing for me. I'm like, wow, they actually got a pool table in the studio. And I was like, I wish I could work here. And plus they had like a lot of, um, you know, the, the great artists working there. So, but she told me that I should go to Skidmore because she thought my style was more in par with what they did back then. So that's how I really found out about them. And then I did like a class trip to Skidmore and did the whole tour thing. After the tour was over, I actually requested to see if I can come back and show my portfolio. Mm-hmm. I did that and I showed my portfolio and, you know, to the, the owner and a couple other creatives that worked there. They was very impressed. And they said, well, you know, we think you're very talented and we would love for you to join our team. And so it was just that quick. <laughs> so I was like, wow. All right. <laughs> When I started working there, I started working in the mat room. For those of you who don't know what the mat room was, it was just like a internship type deal. So you're not actually working on any real projects just yet. You're just framing the work that went out. You're doing the packaging and you're going on runs and stuff like that and getting coffee. But again, I was very determined to just try to fit in with these guys and try to, you know, be valuable with, with the studio. So, yeah, I was, I think maybe after probably about a year or so, I got promoted to be on the board of illustrators, which was a big deal for me. I was, I remember just feeling like, wow, I actually, I have arrived because, you know, the artists that I was looking up to, these guys were like gods, you know, the way they painted. And mind you, this is, this is nothing on the computer. This is all hand painted stuff. Mm-hmm. But some of the images that they did was like just beautiful. And I was like, man. I got to learn how to do this and figure out how to learn from it as much as I can. Yeah, so I learned as much as I could. I was asking a thousand questions and kept getting better and, and learning new techniques. And you know, so the, uh, the years flew by and ended up going from 10 years to 15 years to, you know, to 16 years. So, I mean, clearly you were doing something right and, and making a real impact there to have been there that long. Yeah, yeah. 
I was pretty focused. I was, I think I've always been pretty focused, but I think I was, I, they knew, they saw in me that I was ambitious and that I was talented. And then I was able to contribute to the service that they offer because back then, Skidmore worked with a lot of different agencies. So I was able to kind of cut my teeth with the whole industry world just by working through Skidmore and seeing how that whole thing goes. So I did a lot of storyboarding, understood the technique behind that, what makes a good frame, what makes a good composition. Um, I learned a lot from storyboarding. Dave O'Connell, I want to give him a shout out because he was my mentor back back then at Skidmore. He was like the head storyboard guy. So he kind of took me under his wing and then he showed me what to do and what not to do and, you know, how to make an image sing and, and make it as good as they can try to make it. Mm-hmm. Are there any sort of projects in particular that stand out to you during that time? I mean, 16 years, I know you probably worked on a ton of things, but is there anything yeah. in particular that you really remember? Yeah, I think it was, it was a couple ones that kind of stood out. Um, I remember doing a illustration for Mazda. It was like, it was a campaign called Zoom Zoom. And I don't know if you remember that. Oh, movie. I remember that. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I did um, the illustration of the little Zoom Zoom kid. Then I had a, you know, I had the car flying by him. That was a big thing for me because when I first went to Skidmore, I didn't really know how to do cars that well. But when I went there, and I feel like every artist there knew how to do a car really well. So I was able to, you know, learn from them, and then I was able to apply that to this image. So it kind of stood out to me because I was like one of the first true advertising works that I did that actually was that was put out there that had a car in it that was illustrated and they used it. Yeah. So that, that one stood out. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. It was it was I'm pretty sure it was a lot, but just working on storyboards for Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> With the little I don't know if it was a hamster or I think it was two hamsters or something that was right across the street from a blockbuster video store. I remember doing storyboards for them for that whole campaign. It was just cool to really work on a lot of big name stuff back then, blockbuster video and Mazda and, you know, a lot of other big brands. So, but yeah, but the Mazda one, I think that really kind of sticks out because that was like my first real commercial piece that got got featured Hmm. now when you were at skidmore what kind of i mean again you were there for 16 years but when did you get the idea to start your own studio it was something that was kind of always in the back of my mind a guy that that i was that i kind of befriended at skidmore who who was actually my business partner now guy allen we would kind of talk about it here and there because I think at that time, Skidmore was kind of going in a little bit of a different direction than what what we would have liked to be involved in. So it was always kind of kind of rumblings, you know, between him and I, like, you know, we should do our own thing. But in 2016, something happened and, you know, it kind of gave us an opportunity to really um, go about making it happen. I think in February of 2016, we told our boss, hey, we we're thinking about going on, on our own. You know, that's what we did. He didn't like it that much. He thought, well, 
because I, you know, I was there for such a long, long time, and you know he didn't want to see us go, but he tried to keep us there. But yeah, but he respected you know our wishes to try to branch on our own and do our own thing. So hats off to him, Tim Smith. May he rest in peace. He actually passed away not too long ago. Mm. But yeah, it was it was tough, man. It was a big decision because I have I had been there for so long. It is like all I knew. But I knew that if I stayed there, I wouldn't have been happy because of the direction that they were going in. You know, I just wanted to just be my own boss. And guy, he felt the same way. And he said, well, this is our chance to just really craft something or make something on our own to really just put something out there that we're both proud of in terms of like the type of work that we want to do. And now you're doing it. Now we're doing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are your plans for first fight? For the future, I really want to try to expand our brand and our reach as much as we can, like more globally. I really want to try to hone in on the service of digital strategy. I think we got the content part down. It's just really the execution of the marketing of that idea. And I want to make sure that we were able to offer that to our clients because I think that's a big thing for us. I just want us to be more of a a kind of a complete studio. I don't want to say the A word, the uh, the agency word. Because mm-hmm. I think when you say agency, there's kind of a, not all the time, but there's kind of a negative connotation when you say agency, just because there's like so many different layers of different folks that you have to go through, especially when it comes to the client, for them to get the message across. So I just want to make sure that we stay as intimate and more hands-on with the work for our clients, but also let them know that we can really expand their voice and their messaging and we have the know-how to go about doing it. So I really want to just make sure that we expand on that more and get that and get that uh, more known as far as what First Fight can do. Now, being from Detroit, born and raised, educated in Detroit, you've built your career in Detroit. How has the city influenced your approach to the work that you do? Yeah, I think it's an influence because I think Detroit has kind of always been like the underdog uh, to a lot of different places. You know, we would say that earlier, like how when you go out, well, at least when I go out of of my region here in Detroit, there's kind of like an eye raise when I tell them that I'm from Detroit. But I kind of wear that, I wear that proudly now because I think uh, I like I like the idea that we are the underdog and that we're always trying to prove ourselves. And we're surprising people that we do have all this talent here in Detroit. They can do all these amazing things. You know, you may know you may know Detroit, but you really don't know Detroit. Mm. So I always like to surprise people, you know, that way. How would you describe like the city's creative community? Yeah, the creative community here in Detroit is is really good. I, I think what you're seeing is kind of a renaissance of that. And I think Detroit has always been a pretty creative city anyway. But I think the automotive industry has kind of overshadowed that a little bit. I think people have found other ways to express themselves creatively other than just, you know, designing cars and whatnot. The technology also has been uh, has been used here, the new technology, whether it's self-driving cars or if it's the half res, well, not the half res, but the new labs is what I'm trying to say. New labs is... Uh, you know, a new tech sector here in Detroit that's really blowing up. And what's cool about it is that the creative 
community has kind of been, has kind of been driving that because it doesn't always have to be automotive based. There's mm-hmm. other different sectors that you can really, you know, express yourself in. The scene here in Detroit has been great. I love it. I love the city now, how it is, how it's what it's evolving into right now has been exciting for me to see because I've been here since day one. The last, probably last last 10 years has really just taken off. So I'm, I'm just very excited about what's been happening here. Mm. What do you wish you would have been told about this industry when you first started? Patience is a virtue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially with the motion industry, motion graphics industry. I would have loved somebody to tell me that what you do is cool, but there's like 20 other people or not even 20, like a thousand other people that can do the exact same thing and it can probably do a little bit better. And I think when I first, or when we, I should say we, when we first got in, into this, me and my partner, I think we went into it a little with a little bit of a naivete because I think what we thought was really cool to us was groundbreaking, but we found out that that's not always the case. It's really just understanding that you have to try to figure out how to make yourself different and how do you stand out from the rest. So I wish I would have known that more back when we first started this, you know, to really hone in on that. And I think we we have honed in on that, you know, since then, what makes us different than other um, uh, creative studios. Mm. Yeah, but I wish somebody would have like just told me, yeah, you just, you know, you, you have the talent, you have the ambition, but you really got to hone in what makes you different because there's there's a lot of noise out there and it's hard to really just set yourself apart, you know, from the other uh, other creatives. Do you have like a dream project that you'd love to do one day? Yeah, I would love to do the intro to the next James Bond movie. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big James Bond fan. I could see that from your photo. <laughs> I could, I can 100% see that. Yeah, I think it, in my mind, I'm kind of like the black James Bond. You know, so, you know, they kept talking about getting Idris Alba to do it. But, yeah, you know, I think I think I can I could probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Bond movie? Not the one that just came out, but the one before that. Was that Skyfall? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. But actually, no, you know, I take that back. I think Casino Royale was probably my favorite one because I, I like Daniel Craig. I love what he brought to that role. Mm-hmm. But when I was coming up, Roger Moore was like that was my James Bond because he was, you know, I think that was back in the eighties. I think, but it was really cool because I felt like with Casino Royale, it kind of got back to that you know, what the genre was really about. It was, you know, making him, well, also, yeah, just making him a little bit more human Mm -hmm. and a little vulnerable. I thought that was really cool. So I think Daniel Craig was able to kind of pull that off, you know, when he had, um, when he had the baton. Yeah. I'm looking up now. Spectre was the one before. The latest one was No Time to Die. I saw that one. I thought that one, I thought that one was pretty good. Yeah. It was kind of interesting because I, I was like, well, I wasn't expecting them to like kill off James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but yeah, I was, it was interesting for them to, to do that. 
I guess when you think about it, 007 could be anybody. It right. doesn't necessarily have to be that character. So anybody can wear the, the 007. They did. They brought in a new person. They brought in Lashana Lynch. Yes. She played 007. I don't know if they want to continue like having her as Bond. That would be, that could be interesting. I would love that. That would be interesting. Yeah. I would love to see kind of just what they, they plan to do with it because I mean, I mean, I haven't read the books, like the, the books from, uh, John Le Carre, but I feel like Bond has to be of a certain age. Like I know there were Idris and other folks were, were kind of being sort of, bandied around for that particular role but like bond is what maybe like in his 30s perhaps yeah i think so and what's interesting too is that any actor who thinks about taking on that role i think they have to sign a contract that says you're basically going to give the studio 10 years out of your life yeah this (laughs) to play this character so it's definitely a commitment and yeah i think they need to at least have someone who's young enough who can kind of age into the role. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, they're 30 or maybe 40, even 40 is probably pushing it a little bit. But yeah, that's why I think, I know they, I keep hearing rumblings about Henry Cobble, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to play him. I keep hearing that his screen test was like off the roof. Um, really? Yeah, they keep talking about how good he was in it. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what comes from that. It's interesting because I, it would be nice to try go in a little bit of a different direction with the character, whether it's a black woman or or even a black man. It's, it'd be interesting to see what comes from that, what that would look like. I think that would be really interesting to see how they plan on sort of pulling that off, especially now with all the technology and stuff that comes with Bond. It feels like they're always upgrading him into some new sort of tech or new sort of scenario or environment or something like that. I could yeah. see Henry Cavill doing that. And also he's been, I mean, he was in the mission impossible movie, not the one that just came out, but the one before that. Yeah. And yeah. he was in the man from uncle. Yeah, he was. So he's yeah. done spy stuff. I mean, I, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. If they do go with him, I just hope that he's able to bring something unique, you know, to the character. Cause I think, Daniel Craig was able to do that. I mean, for a long time, he was probably really the only one that was able to do that to bring something a little, you know, a little extra. Yeah. You know, to that character. So I'm hoping that if they do go with him, that he's able to make it his own and make it different. Well, James Bond aside, (laughs) where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work would you like to be doing? I want to really become a better business person. What I've realized in the seven years that I've been co-owning your first fight is that there's definitely a business component to this thing. And I think the creative is is just one part of it. But the business part is something that I really want to get better at. I think I have gotten better at it because there's definitely a science to it. There's the whole networking part of it. There's the constant putting yourself out there. It's just as it's a lot to it. So I just want to become a better businessman within the next five years. And then also, hopefully, along with that, as I get better at it, uh, first fight will be better as well. And then we'll be able to, you know, have more of a bigger reach in terms of like what we can offer, you know, our clients and even our potential clients. Yeah, just becoming, I feel like as I get better, first fight will get better. 
is I think that's where I want to try to be um, in the next five years, just a more complete businessman. I don't know if you can say complete businessman, but just definitely better. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, when I, I remember when I was starting my studio, I didn't know anything about business. I just had this sort of notion. I was like, I've been designing for a few years. I could do this. And there was yeah. so much in those first, I'd say probably in the first five years that I just was like, I had no clue on how yeah. to run a business. Uh-huh. I knew how to design. I knew how to make work for clients, but like mm-hmm. running a business and then like having employees and payroll and all this stuff. I was like, right. In over yeah. my head, I learned it eventually, but it was definitely like a trial by fire process. So I feel you. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff that pulls at you because I still do the work for w- within the studio. Mm-hmm. So it's always frustrating to me, like where I have to, I'm constantly getting pulled from that because I'm either, I'm just trying to pay attention to what this artist is doing, what this, checking up on this email, checking up on the status of this project mm-hmm. and constantly doing that on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's hard because at the heart of it, I am a creative and I just, I would really just love to be in a corner and just say, leave me alone. I just want to draw something. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get any more emails. I want to get, get any more phone calls. It's a lot, but I've learned to, and it sounds kind of funny to say this. I've learned to really embrace that. And I've actually liked the challenge of it. So that's why I said I, I want to become better at it and just try to find a real nice balance between that businessman and that creative. Mm-hmm. I think the payoff is what you're always trying to go after. Like, wow. And it's the kind of that hunter gathering mentality like if you do if you do go after work the payoff is that oh when they say yes you know or if they give you a direct award because you've just been after them for so long mm-hmm. i do like the rush of that when it does happen but ask me like maybe 10 years ago the same question i don't know if i would have said the same thing <laughs> it's just it's just funny how you know you kind of change you know your, your perspective on things as you do this, as you go into the business part of it, mm-hmm. because as creatives, I think most creatives are introverts for the most part. And I feel like I can be both. I can be, I can be extroverted when I need to be, but for the most part, I, I'm introverted. Like I, I get, I get recharged when I'm by myself and just working on what I need to work on, but I can flip it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's, over the years, it's kind of it's kind of changed because I can definitely become that guy, go after work or just do a cold call. <laughs> you know, I say, hey, we can do this. We can do that. You know, you should use our, our studio, which in itself is like unheard of, especially for an introvert. But it is, I think when you're able to do both, though, I think you have to do that if you're going to try to become a businessman in this industry, yeah. especially if you're going to try to own the studio, because you just have to constantly do that. Very true. Very, very true. Yeah. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about the studio and everything? Where can they find that online? Your listeners can go to firstfight.tv. You can find our work there. You can also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just search for uh, First Fight and not First Flight, because sometimes we get that a lot. 
<laughs> so it's, it's firstfight.tv is where you want to go to see our, our, our work and go to our site. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Andre Foster, I want to thank you so, so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you for putting Detroit on the map, for helping to put Detroit on the map creatively. Like you said, you know, earlier, like you're the only black owned studio that's doing this kind of work. And I think it's something that more people definitely need to see, especially I think at this time when the power of the creative voice is being uplifted in ways, like whether we're talking about unions or writers or things of that nature. Like I think people are starting to really see the value of creative work. And it's good that you're doing this. You've been doing this now for over 20 years professionally. You've been working with some of the best talent in the business, working with great clients. I hope more people see that. And that really helps to kind of elevate the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is is awesome. And and like you said, I I just want to make sure that my story can resonate with someone else who's even thinking about becoming a studio owner. And hopefully they can get some inspiration from this. And also, too, like, because, you know, you can't become something that you don't see. Right. So it's like a black artist who's even thinking about owning the creative studio or even going into animation or motion design. Just know that there are other people of color who are doing that. And I'm just, you know, I want to be one of those people that can say, well, you know, we're here and you can do it, too. Yeah. Big, big thanks to Andre Foster. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Andre and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts BFA Design and BFA Advertising Programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design Program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising Program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please let us know. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter slash X at Revision Path, just all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or better still, leave us a voicemail message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.